Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Charlie Dehan, a professor of recording industry, has completed his doctoral dissertation on a subject with which he has been concerned for quite some time. It's titled, Don't Lose Your Good Thing, The Preservation, Interpretation, and Community Engagement of Historic Recorded Music Spaces. In it, he examines several vintage recording venues and the value of preserving them for future generations of music lovers. Why some recording studios should be important to historians and society after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. The latest edition of MTSU Magazine kicks off the university's celebration of the 50th anniversary of Murphy Center. Stately and iconic Kirksey Old Main, one of the first buildings constructed on the MTSU campus 111 years ago, may be the most recognizable facility on campus, but for many, 50-year-old Murphy Center is MTSU's most sentimental spot. From first kisses and first concerts to first days of college, Murphy Center may hold more memories than any other building at MTSU. Efforts are underway to renovate it and ensure that it remains a vital part of campus life. Part of MTSU's new Build Blue project, an over $100 million plan to upgrade athletics facilities, Murphy Center's antiquated glass was recently replaced with an updated system that offers a better appearance and automatic dimming for glare control. And MTSU will continue testing its tornado sirens on the first Monday of each month during the 2022-23 academic year to help keep the university community safer. MTSU tests its tornado sirens on campus and at the Miller Coliseum complex each month, weather permitting, to ensure their proper operation. The MTSU Police Department will continue testing the siren system at 11.20 Central Time on the first Monday morning of each month. Officials began using the more easily remembered schedule in 2019 to reduce distractions for classes and community neighbors. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome back, Charlie. Nice to have you with us again. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. You mentioned several American recording sites, but your chapters focus on four in particular as examples of the need for preservation. Uh, Star Gannett in Richmond, Indiana, mm -hmm. uh, birthplace of Country Music Museum in Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia, uh, the Stax Museum of American Soul in Memphis, and King Records in Cincinnati, Ohio. Why these four? When I originally envisioned the, uh, the dissertation, it was, what do you do? in these three scenarios. What do you do if the building is gone? What do you do if the building's under threat? And then uh, what do you do with buildings that continue to operate as a recording studio? Because of COVID, I didn't really get to do that last part, which would have been uh, on fame and Muscle Shoals sound and maybe a little bit on Sun Records. Uh, and so Jeanette and Birthplace kind of dealt with the first issue, which is what do you do when the building is gone? And then King and Stax, uh, and Stax kind of is the building is gone, but they rebuilt it. You know, what do you do um, when the building's under threat? And so that's kind of the way I envisioned it. Unfortunately, COVID prevented me from going down to the shoals and, you know, really doing some long form interviews and research. Though I did work on the Fame Studio National Register nomination in 2017 or 18 with Dr. Van West, and that building is now on the National Register and functions both as a studio and as a museum, as does Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. So 
that's why those were sort of picked. You wrote this about Stax, which was the home of Rufus Thomas, who is pictured behind you in caricature, the <laughs> king of the funky chicken. Uh, Joe Tex, who uh, did Don't Want to Bump No More with No Big Fat Woman. And Booker T and the MGs, Green Onions, among other artists. And you wrote this. For all intents and purposes, this effort, save for an organized political intervention and participation, served as a template or case study for how to both preserve and interpret a site of recorded musical heritage, but creating one that also continues to engage and educate both the young and old, not only locally, but nationally and internationally. What specifically makes Stax an example for others to follow? So Stax, when it was rebuilt, um, it was built as an undertaking by the group that I talk about to sort of bring or reaffirm pride in a neighborhood that maybe hadn't had its best days in quite some time, which is the South Memphis neighborhood now known as Soulsville. In creating and sort of honoring the history and celebrating the history of Stax, they also uh, decided to continue to, so it wouldn't just be sort of a frozen caveman, something that you know I would like to go to see, which is sort of the, the original building and all the artifacts and, and all that stuff. They also made a music academy and awarded scholarships to local uh, young men and women uh, to go and learn uh, how to play an instrument and music and sort of the music business. And they also built a charter school to sort of educate uh, and uh, the sort of local community. And they did a lot of outreach to the neighborhood. Uh, that's kind of the template that I think that a lot of these projects, not just in sort of music preservation efforts, but sort of all of these, you know, it's. It's one is to celebrate, honor, and preserve the history, but also how to make it relevant uh, and continue in that sort of process. Uh, there's a lot of other there's a lot of other sort of details in that chapter about how they went about it. Not only sort of the the play by play, but also sort of the I guess you could say essence or or sort of the the mantra of the project. You know, these are the things that they did that I think serve as a template for any of these projects. Why are uh, preservation efforts plentiful when it comes to the music itself, but not when it comes to the brick and mortar locations where right. music history was made? That's kind of the argument that I make, and and I talk about the um, registry that they've just started that they started a couple of years ago to preserve sound recordings. So every year, the National Registry picks you know fifty, usually twenty five to fifty sound recordings that then the federal government will step in and preserve in perpetuity. And I, the argument of the dissertation is that you know we do a good job of saving or preserving the stories uh, of the people who are involved in these in these uh, record companies, these recording projects. We do a pretty good job at with the sound recordings, especially now with it being ubiquitous on the internet. I mean, you really can find, uh, you know, I find some very great and rare things on the internet almost on a daily basis. Uh, you just go to archive.org and, you know, they've got anything pre-war pretty much digitized. We fail with the place and the place really is an important part of the story. Now, this is where the transformation happened, where what you could only hear in one place in the moment becomes a permanent quote unquote record that then can travel throughout the world and entertain and influence people across the globe. The place usually gets forgotten, especially once the company goes out of, out of business or, or move, closes or moves. And that's kind of the argument that I'm making in the, in the dissertation is that the place is of equal importance. In order to have a full 360 degree understanding of music history, uh, you need to talk about the people, the product, and the place. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. 
Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Charlie Dahan, who is a professor of recording industry, about his doctoral dissertation calling for the preservation of important recording studios. Charlie, why doesn't uh, somebody like Clive Davis, who was at Columbia for all those years, created Arista Records, launched or promoted the careers of numerous artists, do something for recording venue preservation like what director Martin Scorsese has done for film preservation? He has the money, the clout, and the connections. Uh, yeah, so we're not just going to pick on Clive Davis here. We'll pick on pretty much the entire record industry, minus maybe Mike Curb, uh, who has stepped in and, and who saved, uh, helped to save RCA Studio A when it was you know, close to becoming condominiums a couple of years ago. The recording industry especially uh, has done a terrible job of assisting or, or realizing, the, uh, realizing the value of these places that are under threat they continue to profit off the records that are made that were made in these places. There was just a study issued that the vast majority of what's streamed on places like Spotify is cataloged. So it's people listening to old recordings as opposed to new recordings makes up the predominant uh, listener choice on, on streaming services. Uh, but yet they do a pretty bad job of stepping in. Uh, I will also say Concord has done a pretty good righteous job with the stacks efforts of you know, from the beginning, not always monetarily, but now they've sort of stepped in and done some stuff as well. Uh, so there are some examples. And in, in the work I'm doing with the King uh, Records uh, site up in Cincinnati, we've had a lot of interest from recording artists who want to help uh, in our efforts to preserve and interpret that space. The record companies and the publishing companies, I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand. Uh, you know, and also it was Dr. Dre and uh, back when it was called Beats, uh, his headphone company, they stepped in and, and helped save Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So there are some excellent examples, but the industry as a whole gets an F. There's a point you make early on in the dissertation about the almost uh, mythological aura imposed on early uh, recording artists. It's kind of like a sportscaster praising a white player for his hard work and practice, but praising a black player for his, quote, natural talent. You make the point that a musician described as a brilliant primitive or something like that works just as hard and is influenced by just as many inputs around him as somebody who studied at a conservatory. Can you expand on that? Yeah, and when I, when I teach the uh, history of recording industry class, we kind of get to this 
we talk about this uh, when we talk about the Delta Blues musicians, um, especially when we talk about people like Charlie Patton and, and Robert Johnson and sort of the way you would just sort of the way they're presented as this, as they're just sort of they're, they're sort of naturals at this, like, whether it's God given, whether it's the soil, whether it's the river nearby, anything but talent and practice makes them into uh, a, a professional. Uh, and that's quite incorrect, right? All these artists, Delta musicians, early hillbilly country artists, they're all practice pros and they're not just playing the music that we hear on the record. They're playing everything because they're entertainers. And so if their audience wants to hear a vaudeville song or a country song and they're a blues musician or portrayed as a blues musician, uh, I always, you know, make the point uh, with them that these, these are, you know, outside of a conservatory education, these are incredibly talented uh, and practiced professional musicians. They just did not pick up a guitar one day and, and play, you know, just as good as, as anyone else. I think that helps in a preservation argument in that these musicians should be given the same stature as you would a classical musician. And that's an argument made, uh, I'm picking from Dr. Charles Hughes in his book, Country Soul. Uh, and he was on my dissertation committee and there's quite a few other people in recent scholarship who've made that argument. A lot of them are autodidacts, that is to say they're self-taught, but their style, the amount of effort they have put into their work, the amount of attention they put into their work is no less that than someone who went to Juilliard. Right. And again, it may, it's not classes that they're taking, they're, they're, they're playing themselves, they're, they're, again, as you said, they're through listening, attending shows, performing at shows, performing on the street, performing at, you know, contests and, and house parties and stuff like that. They're just great, but they're great because they made themselves that way. How do you get the local populace involved in this effort? How do you make it relevant to their everyday lives if they don't think it is? That's a, it's a hard uh, tough nut to crack. It's something that all of the chapters uh, in the dissertation, with maybe the exception of Bristol, it's a challenge that all of those preservation efforts faced because a lot of times, and this is something, I, an argument I make in the Star Piano Jeanette chapter, it's the local population who's going to end up usually footing the bill for this. And so is this, especially when uh, a place has financial troubles like Richmond, Indiana, for example, is this the best way for them to spend what little money that they have in their in their coffers, you know, as opposed to maybe attracting a new company to come in and giving them tax incentives because that leads to jobs as opposed to sort of a museum or a place of cultural heritage. Again, it's kind of like what what I talk about in the Stacks chapter, really sort of the community outreach that they did. And also King did a lot of uh, community outreach, talking to the people in the neighborhood, talking to the people in the city. But also when you say community, it's it's, you know, who are who else has a stake in this. Uh, it's the families of the musicians and the employees and the executives, you know, who worked at this place. You know, their story is, is just as important as the musicians uh, who played there. It's their legacy. And we, we want to preserve that and tell that story as well. So, yeah, but it's 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 hard to sort of, you know, get the whole city afire a about something uh, like this. You just have to find the right, the right people in the community. Somebody who can create some sort of an economic prospectus that says, we project that this will bring in X number of tourist dollars a year or something like that? That's kind of a hard thing, but it's it's something who realizes that, somebody who realizes that it's not necessarily a, a, a dollars and cents issue. This, this is from our neighborhood. This is from our city. 
This is something we should be proud of. This is something when you say, you know, why is Cincinnati or Memphis or Richmond or Bristol, why is that a great place to visit or move or live or work? You point to this. This is an attribute to your city. This is one of the pieces of the puzzle. It's a great story also. One of the easiest ways to connect people in a conversation uh, is to talk about music. Uh, People love, you know, people love music. They have their favorite artists, their favorite genres, their favorite concerts. It's usually a pretty straightforward topic to get people involved in, even if it's not the kind of music that they like, because then you draw the lines. Well, okay, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family recorded here. You may not like that old kind of music, but you probably like, and then you work down the line on who they influenced or who they provided opportunities for by having a successful recording career. And these recording studios weren't just places where music was made and tracks were laid down. They had relevance as well to both cultural and political movements. Can you talk about that? Well, uh, I know this was a big point that we made uh, in our King Records National Register nomination, which went forward last month and was unanimously approved. Um, And so that building will soon be on the National Register. You know, everyone knows James Brown. Everyone knows the influence of James Brown on music and culture, but it's also what happened inside the building. King Records in the 1940s was one of the first integrated workplaces in the Midwest. Uh, in Cincinnati. And in addition, it's not just that the workforce was integrated, it was that African-Americans held executive positions. I talk quite a bit about Henry Glover and how important he was. He was an African-American A&R and producer at the label who produced country records and R&B records in the 1950s. And he was, you know, the number two or number three man at uh, in the King Records, you know, chain of command. And so you talk about that. And the, the, the and same thing happened at, you know, at Stax. You had an integrated band in, in, the, in the early 1960s during the civil rights era. And these record labels in the civil rights era put out records about equal rights and civil rights, right? James Brown's Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud was a very important record in the civil rights and Black power movements of the 1960s. So it's it's a lot that happens inside the building uh, that doesn't end up on the record. And it's a story that, you know, Stax Museum does a great job of telling. Uh, and I know it's something that's, you know, high on our list at the work we're doing at the King Record site. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. NTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Charlie Dehan is our guest. He's a professor of recording industry. He has completed his dissertation, which is about the preservation of historic recording studios and locations that have great relevance, not only to the history of the recording industry, but to the history of the country as well. You mentioned this as a way to spark preservation efforts. 
I'll quote again from the, the dissertation, the National Park Service and the National Trust for Historic Preservation should commission a study that identifies all sites prior to the 1990s conversion to digital sound recording that could possess the criteria needed for a national register designation. Once identified, the list must include an organized action plan for not only preservation, but transitioning these places into current and future relevancy with the past and space as invaluable touch points. Do you think that those two federal organizations could come together and do that? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I Maybe I'm hearkening back to sort of the, you know, the um, FDR days when, when things like that were done. Um, and maybe it has to be done privately uh, and endorsed uh, by them. Um, but yeah, I don't, think, I don't think the federal government will ever sort of step in. Again, it, they're in, they're, and again, I, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to put them kind of out uh, in a negative way. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole point of the National Register is that these are sort of self-nominated properties. This isn't the federal government telling uh, you know, private owners and local governments what to do uh, with their built environment. It's sort of like we have this program available to you and we can help you along uh, with the process if you're interested. But if you're not, uh, then we're not going to necessarily step in. I mean, there's very sort of rare cases that they will, but I don't think they would in this. Uh, I, I was just sort of thinking what is sort of my my wish of what they what they could do, what they should do um, to sort of uh, further this this along. Do you have any other ideas? Uh, do I have any ideas? How uh, about how this can happen? Um, I think uh, I think it's sort of all sort of a chain reaction. I think once uh, a community sees another community succeed, so I think once everyone saw the stacks uh, museum get rebuilt and that succeed. And that made sort of Mercer sort of step in a couple of years ago with the Capricorn site down in Macon, Georgia. Uh, I know that, you know, helped to fuel the Cincinnati government to step in, you know, at one point authorize the use of eminent domain to save the King building, uh, you know, seeing that. So I think there's a chain reaction uh, from these. And, uh, you know, f- there's a couple of folks out there that, you know, are kind of uh, going uh, to these places and sort of and, and talking to the local constituencies, but uh, I don't I don't necessarily know that there's a sort of centralized, organized sort of plan or an idea. Um, I just think whenever we got the opportunity, uh, we just hit it out of the park, and I, and I think they see that with Motown. That Motown expansion uh, last two years um, was phenomenal, and they spent millions of dollars to expand that one. What sorts of research do you think other scholars could do along these lines using your dissertation as a sort of jumping off point? Um, I think this, uh, and we're starting to see this um, happen. I think the next big area uh, for music preservation is in live entertainment sites. Uh, I mean, uh, the Ryman was one of the first ones on the National Register and we talked uh, before uh, we got online here about the recent exit in uh, getting on the National Register. But I think that since the sort of studio recording sites are so limited, uh, there's so many live entertainment uh, places. So I think a lot of the arguments that I make here, a lot of the examples that I cite here uh, can be used uh, in the live entertainment spaces. 
like say uh, the Troubadour in Los Angeles, or maybe someplace in Greenwich Village that became yeah, I popular. Think the, I think the Troubadour is, in fact, I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame landmarked it as well. Um, but you know, maybe it would have say, helped to save CBGBs uh, from coming a John Barbados, you know, clothing store. You know, I, that's a that's a real loss that place. That uh, was a sort of ground zero of punk in the, the United States, right? Punk and New Wave and, and my career also started in CBGB. So, uh, yeah. What did you do at CBGB's? Uh, my, the first thing I ever did in the music business was I was an agent uh, when I was still a stockbroker. And I used to I used to book bands, you know, I get them the audition night at CBGB's. So some of the first gigs I ever booked was at CBGB's in the early 1990s and uh, at a at a music festival uh, at a sort of music seminar, I did uh, stage management. That was fun at CBGB's. Um, I think my immune system is so strong because I, I spent so much time in that club. You should have tried being a DJ in the late seventies, early eighties, mm. trying to get Southern rock fans to try the latest album from the Sex Pistols. It wasn't yeah. easy. No, I can't imagine it was like that. Will your dissertation be published in a peer-reviewed journal, or has it already uh, been? I'm uh, I'm starting to um, talk about it, just transitioning to a book rather than than sort of a breaking up in articles. Uh, and I would like now now that um, now that uh, travel is more is more uh, possible. I would like to do uh, that part on on fame and muscle shoals and talk about places that remain studios, but also have a built have a sort of museum uh, component to it. Uh, but they continue to record, you know, hit records uh, in the in those places. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would I would like it to be more of a stay kind of in the in the form that it is now rather than break it apart. There is an Alabama Music Hall of Fame, I know. So perhaps that will be something of an impetus for that would be that music. would be part of it because it's part of the community. There's an organization, Muscle Shoals Music Foundation, that is a part of the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. Also shoals and fame. So it's kind of this triumphant. And I think they're trying to get Sam Phillips, the birthplace is how either his house or his birthplace, I forget exactly what it is, but Sam Phillips was from Florence, Alabama. So that'd be a great get also. Don't lose your good thing. Thank you, Charlie Dahan, thank professor you. of recording industry at MTSU. Thank you. And uh, thank you for reading it. I, I was so excited to hear quotes from my dissertation. I thought I was the only one who ever... <laughs> read it by my committee we'll be right back the tennessee employment relations research association or tara gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data tara wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace many mtsu faculty belong to tara which has members in 20 states and seven nations for all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. 
MTSU's Office of Parking and Transportation Services is offering more hours and more options this fall to help students check at least one thing off their back-to-class list, a campus parking permit. Beginning Tuesday, August 9, commuters and dorm residents can pick up their permits in the parking office's City View Drive headquarters. Drive-through permit pickup, first offered during the pandemic for safety, will be available during move-in weekend, August 17th through the 21st, and then for all students, August 22nd through 24th, the first three days of fall 2022 classes. Parking and Transportation Director Tracy Reed explains what led to the expanded services. Please, just find that our students aren't all here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you know, from 8 to 4 like you and I are. And so extending them in the evenings and by days of the week, I think just helps us hit our student body population here at MTSU sit and I complain about the pandemic all the time because all the negative things that came out of it but for work purposes I do believe it did help us distribute permits we moved and this new building can't hold as many human beings as our old building could and it was like what will we do when we get there well the pandemic answered that question for us that's MTSU on the record I'm Jenna Logue thanks for listening MTSU on the record a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.